we're only 14 years in. I mean, the next uh, million and a half Bitcoin will be mined in the next 100 years, right? We already have 90% more, like I think it's like 93% of the supply or so is already in circulation. So we haven't really seen what digital scarcity is because there was always such a high inflation rate. And, and the current inflation rate of Bitcoin is, is more or less similar to that of gold. And, and after next halving, I mean, we will actually have an inflation rate lower than gold. And I think because this available supply is now finally shrinking, Bitcoin truly is becoming more scarce. And I think it's possible that next cycle, we're going to find out that, that you know, maybe the diminishing returns theory is not the right way to look at things. There's an, uh, a relatively high likelihood that the returns of the next cycle might be somewhere in between the past cycle and the 2017 cycle. The Blockware Marketplace is super cool. Basically, Mason's firm already helps investors and institutional investors on Wall Street get into Bitcoin mining with his giant data centers, but he wanted to make it even easier for the average person to get into this. So now with the Blockware Marketplace, with the click of a button, you can buy your own Bitcoin miner from the comfort of your own home and have it instantly start mining for you straight into a Bitcoin wallet of your choosing. On the Blockware Marketplace, you can see a bunch of miners for sale, you can see what the miner is, the price, the data center location that the miner is located in, the hash rate, the estimated revenue you're going to be making based on the current price of Bitcoin and stuff, and there are miners in all price ranges listed on there right now. Once you see a miner you want to look into more, simply click on it, and then you can see the serial number, how long it's been online for, you can see charts of the miner's historical performance, and once you're ready to buy a miner, simply click buy, follow the instructions, and then that miner that is already online in their data center will be instantly assigned to you. And that's it. You are now mining Bitcoin, getting all the benefits of mining without ever having to do any of the setup or maintenance yourself. So go to marketplace.blockwaresolutions.com to take a peek at all the miners that are listed for sale right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week, I have on the Rational Root. Rational Root, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Been following the charts that you created. I think, you know, many people in the audience may have saw you on What Bitcoin Did podcast. Maybe they maybe they didn't, but uh, let's jump right into it. Your famous chart that I think is becoming really popular this year is the supply available for trade chart. Mm -hmm. I guess like for the audience that may have not seen this yet, you know, like what does the chart look like? What does it show? What are the inputs? Maybe what is this chart? Yeah. So the uh, the supply available for trade. Well, if we think of uh, scarcity in general, so, uh, you know, like one way to view scarcity is by thinking Bitcoin is, uh, is 21 million Bitcoin. No, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the, the hard limit that we have set. But if you want to narrow that down, um, you could say, okay, but there's only 19 and a half coins uh, in circulation, 19 and a half million. Um, so, so that would be a better way to, to look at current scarcity of Bitcoin, right? But can we narrow it down even further? And yeah, it, it, you know, if you think about the hodlers in general that take Bitcoin off the table, um, so you know, they, they, you know, so many people stacking sats these days, and they put all those sats in cold storage. And so, um, so if you think of uh, that, that all that Bitcoin that is basically taking off the table, then what is left? You know, like is that is actually the Bitcoin that's more available for trade, and and so. Um, so, so that, that is another way to narrow down Bitcoin scarcity because the hotler group is basically, um, you know, a group that is just buying at a more or less linear rate in Bitcoin terms. 
And so those sats are just taking off the table constantly. And then, um, you know, if we think of bull markets in Bitcoin, that's usually when new hype comes in the market. And those are kind of new people, you know, they're, they're, they, maybe they become a hotler and they become part of this group. That's, that's kind of the linear growth in Bitcoin terms of that group. But, um, but when they start, when they come in, so new demand basically coming in and we see it with every bull market, basically, we have these, you know, exponential increases in price. That's because there is, it, it's an, an unsustainable amount of demand that, that's coming in. Um, so that's why, I mean, we have these, these high peaks suddenly and Bitcoin crashes afterwards. Um, but, but that demand is, is very different from the hodlers. And so, uh, so if you think of like when those people come in, like how much Bitcoin is actually available for them to absorb. And that is, uh, that is basically, so the, the Bitcoin in, that is in circulation. So the 19 and a half million minus all those bitcoins in cold storage and so so what is left there is the available supply and and that is more or less uh you know between four and five million coins of those 19 and a half million yeah i mean this chart's awesome and i think you you know explained it very well and to me it's exactly what bitcoin is right like bitcoin is long-term savings technology so it's very reasonable that a lot of coins a large majority of the coins are just like not moving held and there's like that small float that's kind of like really available and that's kind of like what's influencing price i guess is exactly. that a fair characterization yeah yeah you got it right there yeah yeah and i mean the chart's crazy because like i i look i'm looking at it right now like we had the 2011 you know bull run where almost no one was around then we had 2013 then we had 2017 and like during the entire time which will display this, uh, your chart on YouTube for the podcast listeners. But during that entire time, up until early 2020, the amount of supply available for trade is increasing. And I guess it kind of makes sense because there's a lot of Bitcoin being mined, like during the quote unquote earlier, early years. And then now once we like hit the third halving or March, 2020, like one of the two, like that supply available for trade has been going down, I guess. How do you think about that? Like, why do we see, you know, you know, such a, I guess, uptrend in supply available for trade in Bitcoin terms, you know, up yeah, until so, the third happening? Yeah. So maybe we should start with just explaining some definitions here because, um, yeah. so, so I, uh, so there's different ways to classify supply, right? Like, so, um, for example, a very famous one, uh, many of your followers for sure know this is the short-term and long-term holder supply, right? So that is based on time. You know, so uh, so we, we take a cutoff at more or less five months because we see, you know, after five months, uh, coins that are on chain, uh, they are really less likely to be spent, you know, like so. So uh, and so uh, so that's a fair way of saying, OK, this long term holder supply is kind of also you could see it as a proxy for this group of hodlers. Right. Um, so it's basically the Bitcoin that is that goes in cold storage. They all become long term holder supply. Um, another way to look at uh, supply or at this hotler group is by not looking at this time difference. So, so not looking at this cutoff of five months, but we can also look at behavior. So what is their spending behavior? And, um, you know, it's, it's possible to cluster addresses on chain and look at their spending behavior. Now, 
a, a person can be multiple entities, you know, like because maybe he has some a cold storage wallet and he has uh, just a, a hot wallet. And and so uh, there's there's, you know, one person can be many entities, but it doesn't really matter. So so the thing is, we look at all these entities individually and we say, OK, how much does such an entity spend? You know, and if, if they spend, for example, less than 25 uh, percent of their holdings, then we could say, okay, this is an entity that's really fairly uh, illiquid, right? It doesn't really, like, there's a lot of Bitcoin going in, but there's not much Bitcoin going out. So, so that's what we call illiquid supply. And so, um, so just like long-term holder supply, illiquid supply is another way to kind of measure, like, how many hodlers, how many coins in the market belong to this group of hodlers. And if you look at the trend of, long-term holder supply and illiquid supply, they're relatively similar, you know, and, and they're two completely different way of measuring them, the, like how much supply does belong to this hotler group, but they're, they're very similar in shape. So, so if uh, uh, the, the, the only thing with the, the time uh, variant, so the long-term holder supply is that it's a bit more affected by price movements. So if, uh, so if we get this hype in the market, you know, hotlers, also then tend to sell off some of their Bitcoin uh, because they want to take some profits. You know, when, when price goes exponential, you know, even the best haulers will, will sell some, you know, will, will take some gains. You know, uh, nobody can resist a, a 10 eggs or something, you know, like so. so um, and, and so we see in, in the long-term holder supply, we can see that it, it kind of goes up in a similar way as, as illiquid supply. But during these bull markets like 2017 uh, or, or 2021, uh, you know, you can see that the long-term holder supply uh, has like a, uh, you know, a drawdown for a little bit and then it catches up again. And that's basically also because obviously those long-term holders sell their coins, but they sell them to someone. It could be uh, another long-term holder that's that just continues stacking, but it could also be uh, more likely, you know, to a, a a new holder, a short-term holder, that later on becomes a long-term holder. So, um, and and if we look at uh, illiquid supply, then we can actually, you know, illiquid supply is less affected by these bull markets, for example, these drawdowns. They're not as visible in illiquid supply, because obviously when someone new comes into the market but just start stacking, but he starts doing it in a bull market for, you know, it's not, since illiquid supply is not time dependent, as soon as this person does not spend any of his Bitcoin, it will be marked illiquid, you know? So, so therefore illiquid supply has a bit more, uh, you know, a continuous trend that, you know, long-term holder supply is a bit more affected by price movements. And, but they're both, they're more or less, at, at, uh, you know, at, at this point in the cycle, they're more or less at the same height. You know, we have more or less uh, just as much, there are, you know, 14 million coins or so are, uh, uh, or a bit more. They are marked like long-term holder and also uh, kind of illiquid. So, so, so that shows, I mean, that, at least that gives me confidence that the measurement to kind of look at this long-term holder group of this hotler group, uh, I should say, uh, that that is a fairly you know good way to measure uh, this this uh, this group you know the, the rate at which this is growing. Yeah, no, I don't know if awesome. you. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you have yeah, any questions I, about I, that or. <laughs> pretty much, I mean, completely agree. It makes a lot of sense using like those metrics to like 
analyze, you know, holder behavior within Bitcoin. And like, it does make sense. Like one's time dependent, one's not time dependent. And it's cool that they're now kind of matching up and showing like a similar amount of coins are quote unquote. They, so they, so they usually trade. match, they usually match like uh, all the way through, except for those bull markets. Then they like, they, they, we get a temporary drawdown in long-term holder supply. But for the rest, they kind of match up. And then after, after such a bull market, it again catches up because obviously those new short-term holders that come in the market, they become long-term holders. And so it, it catches up again to, to kind of, to the similar path that that illiquid supply already was on so uh, so so and why is this important um so because so the the illiquid supply um are actually the coins that i talked about that are taking off the table right the, those are the co coins that are like put in in cold storage and so if we uh, so if we look at the circulating supply minus those illiquid coins, then we kind of get the, the available supply or the remaining supply that's kind of avail more available for trade and, uh, and which is more, uh, uh, you know, especially in a bull market, that is the supply that is uh, kind of determines more what happens to price. And, um, and so uh, the, the thing is, so the, the, the rate at which this illiquid supply is growing we can we can look at the rate uh, of of the growth the growth rate of a liquid supply versus the new supply issuance because uh, as you mentioned you know uh, we already have 19 and a half million coins in circulation of the total 21 million so in the beginning we had a lot of inflation right we had a lot of coins entering uh, circulation we started with 50 then uh, 50 bitcoin every 10 minutes then 25 then 12 and a half you know currently we're at, we're at uh, 6.25 and and in 2024 we will go to 3.125 and so um, so a lot of that supply was mined in the beginning. And so there was a very high inflation. So a lot of new coins were entering circulation. But the pace at which this supply became illiquid was actually not, be, was not able to kind of keep up you know, with, uh, with, with the new. So that's why um, basically Bitcoin became less scarce until the third halving. If you look at the supply in terms of, uh, you know, so the, the available supply for trade, uh, and I, I think that's a, you know, at least in my opinion, it's it's a relatively fair assessment. I mean, it is a proxy, and 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 uh, you know, it's it's difficult to know. I mean, I, there could be errors here and there, you know. Like, I, so I don't know, uh, but but I think the general trend is kind of correct, you know. Like, maybe it was a little bit before the third having, or a little after the third having. Like, it's it's hard to say, uh, you know, if if the if the indicator is exactly right. But it seems, you know, uh, it seems to be a reasonable representation of reality, and so. Uh, so I think it's very interesting if you think about uh, the diminishing turns theory, and I think everyone knows this. You know the the lock growth curve in Bitcoin. You know, so so the bigger the market cap, the harder it is kind of to move price, and so you know the theory about diminishing returns makes a lot of sense. You know, especially if you look at history. I mean, the the the, the amount of returns that we had in 2011 or 2013 or in uh, in in uh, 2017 and and, and 20, uh, 2021 it i mean you can clearly see that there is this diminishing returns effect so if you wouldn't know any better let's say you know I, the, the log growth curve makes makes a lot of sense but if you think about the supply because you know price is a function of supply and demand 
So if you think about the supply side of the equation, I mean, yeah, we can see that actually because there was such a high inflation rate at the beginning, Bitcoin was actually becoming more abundant until the third halving. And since the third halving, we had this kind of inflection point where Bitcoin starts uh, to become uh, fine, actually more scarce. And, and that is actually for the first time. So in the history is that that we're finally, I think, are going to see what digital scarcity means, you know, like because we had such a high inflation rate and everyone was, would always say, yeah, Bitcoin is scarce and Bitcoin, you know, there's only 21 million. But we haven't really seen what, what digital scarcity is. I, I think because there was such a, you know, we're only 14 years in. I mean, the next uh, million and a half Bitcoin will be mined in the next 100 years, right? Like, so we already have 90% more, like I think it's like 93% of the supply or so is already in circulation. So, so we haven't really seen what digital scarcity is because there was always such a high inflation rate. And, and the current inflation rate of Bitcoin is, is more or less similar to that of gold. And, and after next halving, I mean, we will actually have an inflation rate lower than gold. So, so I, and I think because uh, this available supply is now finally shrinking, uh, Bitcoin truly is becoming more scarce. And I think, yeah, it's possible that next cycle we're going to find out that that you know maybe the diminishing returns theory is not the right way to look at things i mean uh, so uh, i there's forces at play so i i mean i can't tell like you know how important is uh, supply versus demand i mean it's a it's a difficult uh, I, I mean it balances out but uh, but if you think uh, you know the the growing market cap uh, as i said is is one of those forces that that actually contributes to diminishing returns, right? Because the price is higher, more money is needed to move the same price. Bitcoin basically becomes more volat volatile uh, the higher the market cap. You know, the bigger, uh, the more people are using Bitcoin, uh, the less volatile, uh, you know, uh, an asset in general becomes, you know, and I think that's a fair assessment. But on the other hand, now, I mean, so if, if supply really starts shrinking, and, uh, you know, that, that is a force uh, towards the upside, right? Like, so we would see, we would actually expect uh, more volatility and uh, uh, we, we would uh, also, uh, you know, higher price increases again instead of diminishing returns and more volatility. So, so it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the question remains now, okay, which force is the dominant force, right? Like, and, and to be honest, I don't know, you know, like, so, so I think, if we look at um, available supply for trade, um, I think starting the next bull market or like after the halving, we we're, we're, might be at um, at an available supply for, for trade similar to the 2017 cycle. So could we expect a 20x? Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think because there is a market you know, market cap increase, like the, the market size increase. So maybe we won't see a 20X, you know, like I, I prefer to actually main, remain conservative. Um, so so as I said, like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a lot safer to go with a lock growth curve. I mean, if you're a proponent of the lock growth curve, uh, no one will blame you, right, for being wrong to the upside. But but so it's, it's always a little more difficult with like, you know, becoming more bullish because, you know, if we, we are too bullish, then we might be wrong to the, to the downside, which, uh, you know, people <laughs> are hurt. And, and so it's, uh, you know, it's not good for, uh, <laughs> for the status. But, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think 
there's there's an, uh, a relatively li high likelihood that the returns of the next cycle might be somewhere in between the past cycle and the 2017 cycle, you know? Yeah, I think that was, that was really well said and completely agree. It's like, I would say most people in the, even in the Bitcoin community, like if you're outside the Bitcoin community, you obviously probably don't think that Bitcoin is even going to go on another parabolic bull run. You probably think like the idea of, you know, $200,000 Bitcoin, $100,000 Bitcoin is like insane. Like otherwise you would be interested in Bitcoin because that would be a pretty massive return from $30,000, especially in a short period of time. So yeah, it's, it, I think pointing out that, hey, it's possible that we don't see smaller returns next cycle. It, it's worth pointing out. Like, it, like maybe we'll, you know, maybe it'll only, Bitcoin will only go to 100,000 and it'll, still people will make a pretty great return compared to, you know, buying the S&P 500 or whatnot in, in four years. But it's worth just like pointing this out that like, hey, like Bitcoin is really scarce and it's getting more scarce potentially. Exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah. So thinking, I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense logically uh, that, you know, since we had such a high inflation rate that, you know, we still have to find out what digital scarcity actually means. So, uh, you know, it was invented in, in, in 2009, let's say, or 2008, launched in 2009, but we haven't really seen because of that high inflation rate what it really means and and so uh so i think yeah there uh, it might still take people at a surprise but uh, i think a good analogy also is i mean so if we if we look at bitcoin's history i mean the the 10 years uh or 14 years uh you know we we have seen these diminishing returns right we have seen this kind of lock road curve and uh and so uh i i like the analogy of thinking of of days you know like if you if you start the year and you know you would observe each day you know and uh, you would think days like are lengthening right like i mean it depends where you live in the world of course if you live at the equator they're they're equal but if you live uh, you know in the us let's say you know days are 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 lengthening and so um so you know if you would get to the summer you know and 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 let's let's just say okay from from january 1st till the summer you've been measuring you know that would represent these 14 years kind of that we've been measuring you would see lengthening days you know so your theory would be like okay you know we, we, you know we have we see you know lengthening days but then suddenly you know we have this inflection point because then we suddenly start getting getting short shortening days you know like so so uh so i think in bitcoin history i mean the data is only you know 10 to 14 years uh the first cycle was uh was the data quality was not as good you know like but we, we've only had really three cycles of of data let's say that are kind of representable now and and so it's a it's a relatively short time in terms of data analysis and and so uh so i think yeah the the diminishing returns theory yeah it looks only at that short amount of data and and i mean there's as i said i'm not i i still think diminishing diminishing returns are also still possible i'm not you know I, i'm not saying that this has to be true you know like i could be wrong uh here maybe you know there are errors in the in the indicators but but to me i mean it looks like that you know supply is actually uh becoming more scarce uh you know if you if you observe it through on-chain analysis and and so i i would think that people 
underestimate probably the the digital scarcity in general you know like uh, i think uh, they overestimate risk in general you know like there could all be things wrong because you know if you think the having is not priced in usually you know why because people overestimate risk of bitcoin in general but i think they they underestimate uh, the strength of actual actual scarcity and so uh, to me it makes logical sense that that we wouldn't get diminishing returns based on what i view but uh, but yeah if you if you don't look at on-chain data yeah you would more like if you would just look at price data yeah you would expect diminishing returns you know like there's no evidence of this but that's the interesting thing about on-chain and here again we talk about the value on-chain of on-chain analysis I think uh, you know on-chain is also such a new field, so it's uh, we're still also kind of playing around with on-chain, like what is useful, which type of indicators you know work, which don't. I mean, if we if you think of TA, I mean TA has been around for so long, and and kind of indicators had to prove themselves over time, right? So RSI or MACD or these type of indicators became so popular because they were actually useful, you know, for for so many years, and and so in on chain is kind of still we're kind of still learning, and it's not easy because there's uh, you know there's on chain data um, has also you know you have to play with the data a little bit sometimes to get these indicators because uh, you know for example taproot now coming into play or lightning bitcoin that is on lightning we cannot really longer see what 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 is happening with that data you know so there's a, an error margin there uh, now lightning is still a relatively small amount of the total supply but 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 still this this uh, you know if, if lightning continues to grow it will be more difficult to analyze this you know like so yeah no that's it's pretty crazy like i i try to think of bitcoin as potentially unlocking like humanity's true demand for savings right like i think of like today we save in you know real estate but we can always build more real estate or we save in stocks and then like there's going to be venture capitalists that you know and create or invest in early stage companies that try to take value away from the stocks that you're holding right like those they're all competing for the future cash flows and like whenever you hold an asset there's going to try to be there's going to be inflation in that asset Whereas like Bitcoin, we don't have like, it's actually programmatically declining in its inflation rate. So it's like, what is society's like true demand for savings? And I think like, this is potentially like unlocking, you know, the ability to save. And it's like, in your chart is a super interesting example. Like in the past, it may have been like new coins that were being mined that kind of like hindered the, the growth of Bitcoin in its bull cycles. Whereas going forward, maybe it's the holders are going to be more in control of, you know, how high Bitcoin goes. And, you know, if people want to save $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, they want to save 100000 a million, $10 million, $100 million, a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Like, there's nothing limiting, I guess, Bitcoin's price except for the holders themselves. Whereas in the past, maybe it was, you know, the miners producing more coins, having to sell those coins to cover their operating expenses, needing more inflows to come in and bid the price higher. Whereas now it's like maybe the holders are in control. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? No, I totally agree. That's why I, I try to measure also this long-term holder group, this hotler group. I think it's such an important group to to measure that rate of savings kind of, you know, like you could see it as a savings rate. But uh, but but basically, yeah, they're taking the chips off the table. And so, um, uh, yeah, in the beginning, yeah, there was so much supply, uh, you know, uh, joining circulation that, that you know, 
the, the rate at which those ships were taken off the table was not really as significant, but, but they will become more significant in the future. And, and we, so uh, I actually, so that's why I made like the, the HODL model, which was kind of uh, uh, try to model out. So what, what would be a, a reasonable model for this rate in the future of a liquid supply? You know, like, so that's, that's kind of like, what is the, the rate at which the, that HODLer group will continue stacking? And, um, and, and so I made, I made two versions of that. Again, I, I put out a conservative model um, uh, quite some time ago. Recently in the What Bitcoin Did podcast, I, I uh, put a more bullish model out as well. Uh, I actually had the bullish model first, but I didn't want to put it out because it was kind of like, uh, for the reasons I already explained, you know, it's better to be wrong uh, you know, to the upside as, as, as to the downside. So, um, but, but, but yeah, uh, I think both models, uh, you know, have uh, are are valuable in a way. I think they're are reasonable to. Uh, uh, but but actually, a liquid supply is even outperforming the most bullish model at at this moment. You know, like so we're going even at a rate faster, which uh, you know I I don't know. Like to me, that's kind of insane. Uh, but that that shows again like how strong how how strong this conviction is of 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 hotlers. You know, and to get back to your point of of uh, yeah saving, I mean. Yeah, to me, it's it is insane that we have to use real estate as a savings account, right? Like, it, I mean, it is really it shows how bad our money is, you know. Like, a, a normal savings account doesn't make any sense, you know. Like, and and it's 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 actually so unfair in the world because only like rich people can afford real estate, and so so if you're trapped, you know, uh, renting, you're in this trap you know you cannot get out of it i mean try to save money in a bank account you cannot put it in real estate because uh, you know it's too expensive so you save on a if you save in a bank account or you have to take all kinds of risk uh, like putting your money in stocks and and so we're kind of forced to do all this uh, because of you know the bad quality of our of our money and i think bitcoin really solves this and makes saving possible again and uh to me it, it uh, you know i think yeah it's it's uh it's so it's such a more healthy system uh, you know if we're just able to save and uh instead of you know always taking out credit because uh you know otherwise you cannot benefit in the system you know like so uh so yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm very in that that sounds i'm extremely bullish uh on bitcoin and, uh, you know, if I look at the growth rate uh, and, and also just the price in general, I mean, Bitcoin couldn't really have done it much better in the last 14 years, in my opinion. You know, maybe we had a little bit of a disappointing cycle, you know, because people were expecting 100K, you know, prices above 100K last cycle. But uh, but yeah, you have to think that that uh, my explanation for this now why we didn't reach those prices is that you know first of all we had a lot of paper Bitcoin you know like uh, so futures options became part of the game and so people started trading those instead of ac buying actual spot and and so that didn't have as much effect on the price. Um, Next to that, we obviously had uh, things like Terra and and and, uh, and FTX, which they pretended to have a lot of Bitcoin, but they didn't. You know, like so, so uh, people were trading on those platforms, thinking they would were holding Bitcoin, but they actually didn't. And so, so there were uh, obviously that didn't last long. And I'm, 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 you know, it's good that they crash. You know, the earlier the better. Um, but but yeah, so we had and and then the third point uh, are, is that we had. Bitcoin was actually uh, 
the 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 least scarce in its history at least according to uh the model i made here uh so the the available supply if you think of the available supply um you know we started that bull market with at least scarce bitcoin in in bitcoin's history and so it's not that strange that uh, with such an abundant bitcoin that you know this cycle was a little disappointing but but the next cycle yeah we should have uh, a more scarce bitcoin as i said more equal to 2017 and so uh, yeah i'm very excited uh, to see what what uh, how bitcoin is going to perform there yeah i mean it, it's it's almost like the past cycle, like you said, Bitcoin was like the least scarce. There was the most abundant in Bitcoin terms amount of Bitcoin out there available for trade. It's almost like it was, you know, like the, the bull cycle occurred. Obviously, more more dollars had to come in, more adoption from El Salvador, from MicroStrategy, from Elon or whoever. More dollars came in, but they were also bidding literally for more Bitcoins. And like... So it makes it makes it even harder to to like you said go on like a even larger parabolic bull run. But like next cycle, as you're pointing out, it's like okay, there's less bitcoins available. So maybe potentially, if like the same amount of you know dollar buying pressure came in, if I'm looking at them as like flows, kind of maybe the price can go higher with like even the same dollar demand. I don't know if I'm thinking about that. You know, like obviously up for debate, but it's interesting how like when holders like control a large portion of the market and a growing, growing large portion of the market. I feel like there, you know, doesn't have to be as much demand for it for them to be like trading the the small amount of coins circulating, and that could really just send the price higher. And then, of course, if we do get a massive wave of demand that was significantly larger than the past cycle, then it could be truly insane. Hey everyone, this week I want to talk about Stamp Seed. This is very cool metal plate where you can literally stamp your Bitcoin seed phrase with this hammer that they sell you into this metal plate. This is a must have for all Bitcoin holders. If you have taken self custody of your Bitcoin, you wanna make sure you've recorded your seed phrase on something that is fireproof, waterproof, and time resistant. This is a great product for Bitcoiners who have taken self custody and want that extra level of security and resiliency to store their Bitcoin. So if you are interested in this product, definitely check out stampseed.com. Use code BLOCKWARE15 for 15% off the entire website. Exactly. And we, yeah, we see that one of those demand waves that come in, yeah, they, they only happen um, uh, every four years, uh, you know, once, once every four years. And they typically only last for like six months to a year and 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 uh, a, a way to measure that i i really like to use the short-term holder supply so i think the short-term holder supply it's, it's such a simple metric in a way but it uh, it just shows the you know the all the transactions on the blockchain that are younger than five months so it really gives a recent view on uh on the market and if we look at that supply uh, we can see clearly those peaks, you know, how they correlate with uh, this exponential price movement. And because they're, you know, so so to me, short term holder supply is really one of the best proxies for for new demand that 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 is coming into Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, we see uh, typically one of those peaks occurring every four years. And so, um, so th yeah, here we kind of come a bit to the the psychology of the market. You know, Bitcoin 
uh, plays out over this four-year uh, cycle. And uh, yeah, we typically need, uh, we, you know, it starts with a halving. So we have kind of this supply shock. Maybe it's also a bit of hype around the halving these days. You know, this, the supply shock obviously is, uh, is uh, less intense every halving. Um, but uh, but there's a lot of hype around the having as well. But but the, the, the having always has served as this catalyst uh, for a true bull market in Bitcoin. And then we have like this this hype coming in, and that typically lasts only for like six months to a year. And uh, and then we peak. And obviously, when that hype is gone, it's not going to come back, right? Like so, uh, because price overextends, and so we return kind of to the baseline. And so uh, people get scared. Once once the price starts dropping, people get scared. And and you know, so so when hype is over, it doesn't come back. And and it takes a long time again to build up because first we have this downside, a year of downwards price movement, and and so uh, that kind of takes a year, uh, you know, to get this kind of eighty percent drop. You know, uh, uh, but but obviously we we yeah we end up at a higher price, and then we get kind of like this two year. Uh, recovery phase you know like uh, so from the bottom to the previous all-time high uh, so in this case from from 15k to 69k it's uh i mean historically uh, this recovery took about two years and 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 so uh so currently we're only six months in and uh you know we're around thirty thousand. so i think i mean we're, we kind of doubled from the bottom in those six months and we still have a year and a half basically to go uh to recover the rest and and so i think uh we're really right on track and it's really in line with previous cycles uh you know in in the last cycle in this period we uh, we actually had this uh, this phase where we went from uh, the, the the 3k bottom uh, up until 14k that was in 2019 so four four years ago um, and and there we actually uh, we had like this mini bull market uh, you know after this bear market you know but it was not really sustainable uh, there was a bit of new uh, you know, short-term holders coming in, uh, but it was not as excessive. There was like a small uh, up, uh, you know, a small peak in short-term holder supply, but it was not nearly as great as as a true, uh, a, a, you know, full-grown uh, bull market. Um, I think that was the phase with Libra and stuff. So, so maybe there was also some new people coming uh, because of that. Uh, but it was not sustainable yet because we we just had this bottom and it was like too early. You know, the recovery really. Uh, and and here, here we get to this human psychology. Apparently, we need like two years of of kind of recovery of build up and uh, before people get excited again. And so uh, and and usually this excitement comes again when price starts hitting that previous all time high, right? Then then the media starts waking up, everyone starts making up and like uh so so uh, oh, oh it was not a tulip bubble, b- bubble again you know like so it uh, it, it is uh, uh so so i think uh i mean it seems really that that the same pattern is is again going to play over you know like so so uh at least we're right on track so i think that's that is just amazing agree it is weird how the cycles you know keep repeating pretty you know oh, pretty like in the same order and like the same fashion. I wanted to ask you about this. Looking back at the 2020, 2021 cycle, I know I've heard people talk about how like spring 2021 was like the true peak, maybe from like an on-chain perspective. And then like November, 2021 was a higher dollar price, but it was, it was, if you're paying attention, like it was already like 
over at that point. What's your perspective there? Yeah, I fully agree there. I actually put that out uh, back then, and uh, it, it was picked up by several news articles. Uh, but but yeah, you, you could clearly see that the spring peak will actually coincide with the short-term holder uh, peak as well. Short-term short holder supply was actually had a huge increase there, and then it just faded out. But uh, during that, that second peak, that was actually based on long-term holders. And, and to me, actually, again, that it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing that is so bullish. We were actually able to make a new all-time high based on this Hotler group, right? Like that, that is kind of insane, you know, for the first time in Bitcoin's history that happened. And that happened uh, still at a relatively uh, abundant Bitcoin, you know, like, uh, I mean, we were already during the bull market, Bitcoin scarcity kept going down. Obviously, that new demand took a lot of coins. Uh, uh, so, so scarcity was going down during that whole year. Uh, but we were not near at, at 2017 levels yet in terms of scarcity. Yet Bitcoin was able to make an all-time high. You know, like it was barely an all-time high. It was, I mean, you could more see it as a double top, right? But the fact that we did that, again, shows to me how strong this, you know, uh, Hotler group already can be. And, and so uh, currently... Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think, you know, Bitcoin is a lot more scarce, but, but, uh, but that there's no real hype around the, the around the Hotler group currently, you know, like that was really a phase because everyone was expecting a hundred K price, you know, Hotlers were like stacking like crazy or like they were, uh, they were really thinking like still like, no, there's still something going to happen, but it didn't come, you know, like, and, and so, and, and actually on chain that was already visible, uh, you know, because short term holder supply already faded out. And so, uh, there was no reason to expect you know prices to to really go up just based on 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 these long-term holders and uh so so yeah i fully agree with with with, with that uh, uh to me uh yeah it's it's very bullish i think uh you know with a, a more scarce bitcoin uh and then uh, if, if bullish sentiments come back with the short-term holder and we even get new demand uh demand peak coming in uh, yeah, I think prices, therefore, to me, yeah, it seems reasonable to expect uh, higher returns uh, possibly than uh, the last cycle. I agree. Actually, it makes sense. I hadn't quite thought about that. The second half of 2021 was kind of like a bullish sign for Bitcoin, like the fact that it was able to do that after a lot of the hype had gone away from like the true peak. It's pretty impressive. Um, I guess going off of that, though, you know, we had the dark, treacherous 2022 bear market fell all the way to, you know, 15, 16K. I guess, why do you think, you know, other than like just the hype going away and the natural cycle of Bitcoin, why do you think there was, it was, you know, the we had the bear market we had and, and saw 15K? Um, yeah, so, I mean, price, when price extends like too much, uh you know we, we have to get back to to the baseline you know like uh, and and so i think it's just natural that we get these crashes and um we we didn't necessarily have to reach 15k i mean the bottom could have been higher if it wasn't for the events that played out you know but uh but uh i like to think i mean there is is the state of the market kind of and there are news events and uh, it depends kind of at which state we are in the market which news events do well or or, or do do not as well so um but um but we, like what i'm trying to get at here is like so if price 
so I like to, to look a lot of, at the short-term holder cost basis, which is like the short-term holder average price. It's uh, one of the best in on-chain indicators, in my opinion, because uh, because it has this short-term holders have this recent view of Bitcoin. Uh, their average purchase price is really um, a good indicator of uh, of what Bitcoin, what we can expect of Bitcoin. So if we're trading below that that average price, we you know you could call that a bear market, and if you're trading above that price, you could call it a bull market. And um, so if you extend like too much above that, if short-term holders, if the the Bitcoin price is too high above the short-term holder price, it actually means that uh, short-term holders are. Uh, in a lot of profit, you know, they have a lot of profit, which is usually like unsustainable. That's why you, in a bull market, you see kind of waves above this short-term holder price and, and price tends to reset again on that short-term holder price. And then you get another wave above it. And again, you reset and that continues a few times. And, uh, but obviously also that short-term holder price is kind of in, in, during a bull market, that short-term holder average price, uh, that, that starts rising. And so, uh, and we keep on making profits above, and at some point that becomes unsustainable, right? Like uh, because we we cannot, I mean, only go up, right? So 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 then we get obviously a rejection. Uh, now during a bear market, um, it it like you know as soon as you go below that that uh, that short term holder cost basis because it's unsustainable then suddenly those short-term holders are at a loss, you know, and that's when fear starts to set in and all these emotions come, uh, emotions come, and we can clearly see then, usually that, that's why, I mean, in the four-year cycle, and I have some spiral charts on this, actually, uh, where you can clearly see, like, the, the, that there's a lot of red colors, you know, a, a whole year, basically, of losses uh, for those short-term holders. And, and so there's a lot of emotions there that, that are part, again, of that uh, psychology in, in the cycle. And then there are obviously, when price starts going down, yeah, this, this caused all kinds of things, all kinds of events, you know, like, uh, for example, people that were trading paper Bitcoin, they, they found out that they actually didn't have the asset, you know, and so, uh, you know, some of them went bankrupt and, and, uh, and so that caused, uh, you know, a lot more fear. And then you see those capitulation events, you know, and then, and we had pre, you know, we had several, we had a whole cascades of those, obviously. Um, but, but with FTX kind of being uh, uh, the last one, uh, but an extreme one, right? Like if, if it wasn't for FDX, um, maybe we wouldn't have reached 15K. Maybe we would have stayed a little higher even, you know? Like uh, if there would have been a, another waterfall effect and we would have had even something worse than FDX, I mean, yeah, we could have reached 10K, you know? Like so, uh, but, but interestingly, on the four-year cycle basis, uh, those events that happened, yeah, they cost like, uh, you know, because... Usually the Bitcoin price consolidates a little bit. And then, you know, with one of those events, we really had like a, a really steep drawdown. And then again, we would consolidate a little bit and then FTX happened and we, we even went uh, another level lower, right? And and so, but the bottom really happened around, um, you know, around this exact moment in time as the previous cycles. And so to me, it was kind of, clear that you know these capitulation events are quite rare and they're really um, visible on chain because a lot of bitcoin suddenly starts moving hands and uh, and to me like the the distribution of supply actually started looking very similar during that final capitulation of FTX. We had such a, 
uh, a big capitulation event. Like if you look at the amount of supply that changed hands uh, just in that single day, uh, it was it was very similar to the bottom of the uh, the 2018 uh, market and uh, of of the previous cycle. And so uh, so I think uh, yeah, to me it was kind of clear. Like okay, yeah, we could have had another cascade or something else, but I couldn't really imagine again uh, some event equally as intense as the FTX event. So to me, it was kind of like reasonable to expect that that was a bottom on both on a on a on a uh, four-year cycle basis and, and in terms of like uh, really true capitulation that we saw on chain. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's pretty clear, pretty obvious that that was the bottom. There's so many you know signs pointing to that. I also think it's like those capitulation moments where there's actually a decent amount of coins exchanging hands when the price is really low. I agree, it's like, it's honestly like a very bullish sign because like who was buying Bitcoin at 15K, you know, end of last year, like crazy people that are not going to sell anytime soon. Like they have very strong balance sheets, probably, you know, have an income, like a solid income statement, solid job, making money. Like if you're buying Bitcoin in size at 15K after it's fallen like 70, 80%, like you're probably not just like buying it and hoping it goes up 10%. Like you, that's That's getting sucked into some probably pretty strong hands. Exactly. Yeah. I think the, the long-term holders, but they, they notice, I mean, we have seen, you know, if you've been in Bitcoin several cycles, uh, you know, to me, this cycle, I mean, even though we had this 80% drawdown, uh, you know, I wasn't really emotionally affected by it. You know, it's never fun to see because, you know, I also have uh, a decent amount of Bitcoin that I won't sell ever, you know, like, and it's not nice to see that go down 80%. Uh, you know, I can be honest about that. But, uh, but it was definitely also not, uh, you know, I, I, I slept uh, like a baby, let's say, you know, through this whole bear market. You know, I, I yeah, after seeing several cycles, uh, you kind of get the, the confidence. And, and I think uh, this is all part of the psychology. Uh, you cannot have a new asset and uh, go up in a straight line you know like there is volatility along the way and it happens in these cycles and there's a lot of emotion and speculation and i think that's all normal and i actually have no reason to believe that that would not continue you know like because we bitcoin couldn't have done better in the last 14 years honestly and so why would it stop right even if uh, and I, I like to sometimes think in that way even dogecoin or something like uh, a coin that really has no real fundamentals or anything i mean i even expect because also because it's it's uh, uh dogecoin even will be pumped at some point in the future you know i expect it to be uh you know I, i'm not a fan of dogecoin at all like uh, i i i'm more bitcoin maximalist you know like but but uh even dogecoin i expect to have a pump in the future you know like and then there's Bitcoin with all these fundamentals, you know, like, uh, yeah, why wouldn't it, you know, like, so, so I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I, uh, I'm very confident that we will again see an inflow of new demand, uh, and that this, uh, this, this pattern will still continue. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, it's like the first cycle, you're kind of like, after it falls 80%, you're like, wow, you know, this, maybe I'm missing something here. And then obviously, you know, it goes back up, but then this cycle, uh, like, I never really was like, ah, dang, like maybe we're wrong here. It's like, ah, oh, this is kind of par for the course, you know, nothing too crazy here. 
Um, but crazy. One last big question I want to ask you before we wrap it up. Um, you have an interesting chart comparing the price of Bitcoin to global liquidity. How do you think, you know, macro and global liquidity plays into a role, plays into like the role of Bitcoin cycles? Like, is it mainly halvings? Is it mainly macro? Is it like a healthy combination? What do you think? Yeah. So I, um, I, I think at this stage in the cycle, Bitcoin is kind of correlated to, I mean, it's seen as a risk asset, right? Like it, I think I see that as, 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 a, as a stage of, uh, of Bitcoin uh, that, you know, it's a phase that we're in currently. And, uh, and it, we cannot do anything about it. Obviously, Bitcoin is volatile compared to, for example, the S&P or something. So, um, uh, or even, and even the, the S&P obviously is a risk asset in terms, you know, so, so, uh, so I think the fact that Bitcoin now can be part of a portfolio, of a portfolio of a, of a normal business, that is already an amazing achievement kind of, you know, like a few years ago, that was still kind of unthinkable. We can really see that since 2020, uh, we had kind of an inflow of uh, institutional demand as well. And uh, it wasn't maybe, uh, you, know, you know, as crazy yet, but the fact that people now kind of accept that it can be part of a portfolio, uh, that's that's already a wonderful achievement for this for this cycle, and so it's a phase that we have to go through. Obviously, um, you know, so people now see Bitcoin in a in a traditional world. I'm saying in TradFi, they see Bitcoin as a risk asset, but they still would like to have it as part of a, a portfolio, right? They don't fully understand Bitcoin. And so, um, obviously, that's a phase. So, in the next phase, I expect at some point to to decorrelate from that, so that uh, Bitcoin indeed becomes more like the safe haven and digital gold. Um, and and so, um, the question is, yeah, how long is that going to take? You know, like currently, the correlation with the S and P is is high, in my opinion. And uh, and so, um, we have to see what happens in macro. I mean. We haven't had Bitcoin didn't really go through a recession yet. You know, we've been talking about a recession for a long time. Is it here? Is it not here? I don't know. You know, I'm, I, I cannot really predict. Uh, I cannot really predict the future, but I wouldn't be surprised if we still see a recession. Uh, and, and so the question is, OK, will Bitcoin remain correlated to the S&P or, or will it be seen like as a safe haven? And I, I mean, eventually it will be a safe haven, in my opinion. But the question is, is, is Bitcoin mature yet, you know, enough yet uh, for it to be already relatively soon, let's say in the next year? I think there is a fair chance, but uh, we will have to see how Bitcoin responds to such a situation. Uh, now, in terms of, of uh, global liquidity, yeah, I mean, liquidity in general is, is extremely important in the macro landscape. I mean, if we think of the S&P, uh, also if we have, uh, you know, if there's a lot of liquidity available, uh, in general, uh, those assets tend to do better, right? Like, so, um, so I think that's true for Bitcoin as well. And uh, so, so, yeah, I think uh, currently global liquidity is an interesting metric, although there's not like a, a one-on-one uh, correlation like it. Like if global liquidity goes up, Bitcoin has to go up. No, yeah, it, it's not as easy as that. Uh, also, the data that you get from lo global liquidity is a bit lagging. I mean, um, yeah, you know, uh, we can look at interest rates and their... Uh, you know, if they're rising, yeah, M2 in general will 
go down, uh, you know, and, and we've, we've kind of had a reversal now uh, with the pause that we had. Uh, so so uh, to me, again, it looks like, you know, eventually, obviously, uh, <laughs> fiat money will be printed to infinity, you know, like, uh, so we can expect that. But during the phases uh, where actually uh, liquidity is decreasing, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit more problematic for uh, for risk assets. And since Bitcoin is currently correlated to risk assets, yeah, it's not, not that good for, for, for Bitcoin either. Now, um, yeah, the question is like, when will we decorrelate? It could be, it could happen in a recession. Uh, I do think if we get a true recession that actually Bitcoin could decorrelate uh, from the S&P. Although people also don't know anymore where to go with their money, right? Like, so uh bonds have uh, have had negative yields and so so it's uh like where do you store your money like it's not as easy you know it has to go somewhere and i think also that's why uh the stock market is uh, is is going pretty well like more better than many expected is because like where do you put your money yeah i mean uh, if you don't really know i mean uh, bitcoin is the risk asset for for a lot lot of tradfi so uh so so yeah why not store it you know better maybe store it in, in apple or, or or google you know like it's probably more safe than uh, than put it anywhere else and so even though that comes with a lot of risk as well yeah i think those are some some great points um I guess we can go ahead and wrap this up. This is a really good conversation. I think my, my key takeaway from, you know, seeing your charts and listening to you is, you know, people out there may be underestimating Bitcoin's ability to, you know, go on another pretty crazy parabolic bull run, maybe larger than the previous bull run, which I feel like almost no one is really expecting, which is pretty interesting. Um, Root, this is awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you or your research or see some of your charts? Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Joe. Yeah, I, uh, so you can find me at uh, BitcoinStrategyPlatform.com. Um, so uh, I actually started a newsletter also back in May. And so uh, that's a uh, true Substack. So it's BitcoinStrategy.Substack.com. But, but if you go to BitcoinStrategyPlatform.com, you can subscribe to the Substack newsletter as well. And uh, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you, uh, you get also access to the platform and to, uh, to my uh, live indicators. So, so, uh, so that's where you can find me. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Joe, for having me on. It was, uh, it was a nice uh, conversation. Uh, happy to be back on sometime in the future. 100%. We'll definitely have you back on. This is awesome. Thanks, Root. Thank you.